Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our e-commerce show. And today I'm here with David Assil and he's one of the founders of Madison Style. Madison Style is a uh, Beverly Hills um, based Californian fashion brand. And they started at the end of 90s. And uh, they introduced brands such as Prada, Miu Miu, Dolce & Gabbana, um, Balenciaga, and they're one of the first companies who, who did that back then. However, in the last 33 years, now even more, they uh, changed their direction. And David, tell us uh, how they changed their direction. I think it's a fascinating story. So let's start the today's show. How are you, David? Good I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Are you in Los Angeles or somewhere else? Los Angeles. All right. So tell us more about the early days of this brand. Um, when did you start? Are you the only founder or do you have a co-founder? And why did you start the company back then? Um, I started the company, I, you know, I, I worked my way in shoes in high school and also college selling shoes. And uh, I enjoyed the fashion part of it. So, you know, when you're in college, you start to decide what do you want to do with your future, of course. And I w decided that, you know, I can open my own store at some point, which I did in 1989, the first one being on Melrose Avenue, which back then was the hot spot in all of Los Angeles to shop. So I had a partner at the time. Um, we separated ways in 1995. Um, and as I said, and as you read on the podcast, uh, I was one of the first in the world to bring in um, the likes of Prada, Mimi, Dolce, Valentino, and so on. And, it, you know, that was wonderful for our company. It really uh, put, put us on the map. Um, and then, as you said, I changed direction around 2006 and seven. I started to see that these brands had expanded um, everywhere. Yeah. And uh, they also built their own stores. So I went from being one of maybe two stores in all of Los Angeles to carry the brand to being one of like 15, as well as um, the margins dropped. And I also started to see that the quality was beginning to drop back then even. And I think now if you go to a store and look at these designers, um, you're not seeing the same leather you saw back then or the same quality or fit. I don't think the price matches um, what the consumer is getting. And I think this is one reason why you see all these designers putting their names on the pieces. I don't think you can buy a product um, item, whether it's a hat, belt, shoe, or jacket without the name Prada being on it. For me, it was time back in around 2012, I started to look to see what changes I can make. And I realized I had to come up with my own brand, which was difficult at the time because all the factories were committed to these larger um, producers and they were taking Sorry, up- Sorry, David. Do you mind if I stop for a moment? I just no, want to go a bit slower with the story because it's 33 years now, 34, okay. right? So <clears throat> tell us uh, more to young folks, folks like me. How was the landscape back then? Because you were the first who brought in these brands in the, into the US, right? No, uh, you know, like the first Mimi collection that we saw was basically six shoes sitting on the floor. Um, the first Balenciaga that we ever saw was just that iconic handbag that you've seen they've run for, I think, 30 plus years now um, in a showroom sitting on a rack. 
So it was more back then about going and finding things that were different for me that weren't necessarily in the marketplace that were a new look. You know, as a buyer, I think everybody aspires to do that as long as you think that, you know, you can sell the product. I saw newness in them. I saw creativity. I saw style. I saw fashion um, at a reasonable price um, Mm -hmm. when they were first introduced. So I, you know, gravitated to all these brands and brought them in and they were very successful for us. And over the years... They expanded in the U.S. I think, I, I believe these brands are mostly European designer brands and Correct. probably Italian and French. And uh, over the years, they expanded and they, they, they opened their own stores, right? And I think these companies, they also just grew. Like today, I think Louis Vuitton is one of the biggest or if not the biggest fashion brands. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and how and, and why why do you think the quality dropped of these brands? I think they're trying to get as much margin as they can. You know, they spend so much money advertising. They've bought so much real estate. Um, they've grown so large as an entity where their uh, costs are so high. You know, they're making a shoe probably, you know, if I had to put in my knowledge, 70, 80 euros tops. Um, and, you know, charging 1,200, um, 800, 1,500. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes costs are obviously higher, maybe 120 euros, 150 euros, and you know, they charge 2,000. So they need that to keep that engine going. I think it has resonates with a certain audience, but I think the real fashion customer that has her own eye or his own eye that, you know, knows how to dress themselves and has good taste are probably not as excited about these brands as they were in the past. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So over the years, you realized this and you changed your direction. When was it? And then what, what did you do after? I started seeing it in 2008. And I also started to see a decline in the economy. And I, I thought something big was coming. I didn't realize it was going to be as big as the crash that we had in 2008. Um, so I slowly started to drop the brands. Um, you know, I used to have a very, very, very high sell through and a very large margin because I was also buying some of these products first cost. They didn't have offices set up in the United States. So like a Dolce Gabbana, I was getting like a 3.5 markup. And, you know, as the shoes came in, they sold out. I reordered. Eventually, they opened all, all, all the open offices in New York. And, you know, the margins dropped to 2.3 to 2.4. And pieces were selling um, after a while only on sale where the maintained margin was about 40%. So I started to realize that this just wasn't a model that would be sustainable over time. And uh, as I was saying earlier, I tried to expand into factories to do my own thing. But at the time, they had taken up the lion's share of all the factories. So it was very hard. So I had to go back to the building block of going to the shows and making shoes with the people that were at the show with what they had available. And that's how I originally started was going to the small shows and, and you know, making our own product till I um, discovered the designers. What can you see since then? Those companies who didn't change their model, similar to your older business model, where are they now? Do they still exist? And this trend continued? Or maybe it changed. You're talking about the brands, these large brands like Prada and so on? No, I mean those retailer, retail companies who resell those brands in the U.S. 
they all they all change. You know, as you go to the shows, you see new people, you see different factories. So it's a matter of having to walk, you know, four or five very, very large halls with hundreds of stands, hundreds and hundreds of stands and walking in and seeing maybe 300 or 500 or 100 shoes in the stand and then deciding if choosing one of these and working it the way that you want by changing leathers or so on um, fits into your or your profile as your company. That's how I started. And now I'm going to in the direction of working with these people, but making our own designs with them. Mm-hmm. So how did you spend the last five, 10 years? What happened since this business model change? Well, as I said, I realized I needed to do something myself. And by 2018, I launched Madison Maison, which was going to the best factories that I had learned as, as well as the best tanneries and um, figuring out what spoke to the fashion customer for that season as far as maybe what a last would be or the shape or the style. So we started then, we had a nice success. And as we shipped out, I, th- I think we started out with 12 accounts real quick, just by showing in New York um, in, a, in a small showroom that also did clothing. And as soon as we shipped out by 20, late 2019, tw- early 2020, we started shipping um, once the product was uh, to the quality and level that I liked and then COVID hit. So a lot of the stores didn't even want to accept the merchandise out of the 12. So eight of them, I had to take the merchandise in myself. So that became a struggle. Um, I had to figure out how to offload all this merchandise uh, and then move quickly again. So now we've reorganized. We have a showroom in Milan, a famous showroom, Progetto. And um, we're going to start showing on February 15th through March 30th. And we've had some nice interest from some of the top stores around that are coming for a visit. So you are expanding into Europe as well? We're going to start with Europe because I think it's easier. The factories are there. The mm-hmm. showroom is there. The, he knows all the accounts. Some of the accounts know myself. Plus, I'm able to give them a nice markup where the whole idea behind Madison Maison is a minimum markup of 3.3 because okay. I don't have the overhead. I don't have the staff, so I can take a product and mark it up with what I need, which is minimal, and then turn it and give it to the client so that they can um, reap the rewards and want to come back and purchase from us the next season. Have you ever thought about outsourcing the manufacturing to Asian countries or, you know, I don't, you, you are, you, so you are manufacturing in Italy or somewhere nearby? Um, uh, we're exclusively in Italy because, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the best is made in Italy. Okay. So if I want to really make this successful, I have to give the client everything that I think they're looking for today, which is fashion, comfort, quality, and price. Because the yeah. customer deserves it. I don't think the customer needs to go buy a plastic shoe for a thousand euros. It just, to me, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's marketing, right? I think so. It's more about the marketing there. I just, you know, I, 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 I don't see it being sustainable in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And nowadays, I think many people, they are, they, you know, people, they become more educated on this, uh, especially fast fashion. Yeah, especially the younger generation. If you think about, and not necessarily luxurious companies, but like H&M or, or Zara, um, I can see younger people, they, they know where the products are made and how. So 
This seems to me that you think about your business as a uh, brick and mortar, as a physical company, more than e-commerce. And when did you start your website and selling products online? Probably one of the mistakes I made is I didn't go um, online sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, the disadvantages was when I carried all these designers, they didn't allow you to sell it online. That was another problem. They they kept it exclusively for themselves. Mm -hmm. And a couple of people like, uh, you know, a Neiman Marcus and a Saks and a Barney's at the time that was in business. So, again, this was very difficult for all us boutique um, owners who helped launch these large companies. And in the end, the tables were reversed on us, which made it very difficult for us to continue business that way. So I made a mistake of not going online earlier. A, I didn't have the capability because of the brands I carried. And then B, as I started to steer the ship and bring on other brands, I should have started an online presence earlier, but we started an online presence around um, 2013, Mm -hmm. I want to say, and I've built it up since then. And we had one real major success, which was the Rihanna collection, um, mm -hmm. Fendi by Puma. Um, they chose us as one of the stores to um, launch it with first. And I came up with a good strategy where we became one of the two top sellers in the world of the Rihanna collection. Wow. So, um, you know, I, there's great success that can be made on the internet. It's a matter of, you know, how can you be seen and recognized so that you can get the people coming to your site to look. When was it? Was it a few years ago or back in the uh, Yeah, collection, I want to say was 2015. I want to say was the yeah. first collection, roughly. That's just off the top of my head. It might have been um, 2016 or 2014, but I think it was 2015. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share a few parts of the strategy back then? How did it become so successful? Um, I realized, you know, if I want to um, make it really something special, I had to reach out to the influencers. And at the time, the influencers had great followings, but they weren't charging $50,000 a post. Yeah. So they were so excited about um, receiving a Rihanna piece because she was, I mean, everything back then. And she still is obviously very famous. She's going to do the halftime Super Bowl show. So I offered in exchange a couple of pieces so they would post it. So, you know, I had girls that had, you know, millions of followers that were so excited, took it, posted it. And that just drove so much, um, of an audience to our site. And that's how we were able to get into the position of as one of the top two in the world. Yeah. And did you approach many influencers? I mean, dozens or maybe hundreds of them or just five, six with uh, huge followings? Okay. What, what was your approach? It was about, about 20 really top ones. Mm -hmm. They were all very um, happy and worked with me. And some of them were friends with one another. So I was able to get access from one to the next and so on. And uh, you know, kind of just took off. And then obviously the influencer business has changed where you have to be a very large company to be able to work with them. So now I'm on my next strategy. Yeah, it changed a lot. And uh, 
I think smaller companies, they, they try to work with micro-influencers. That's something they can afford and they go to quantity more. Uh, and big brands, they work with, with the, you know, world famous stars. That's what I can see um, personally. So what was your biggest challenge in this business in the last few years? Well, um, I think anybody that's saying the economy is wonderful is not really being honest. Uh, I think that it's not like it was 20 years ago where women weren't shopping on Saturdays and that was the big thing to do, have lunch mm -hmm. and shop together. So obviously the traffic uh, for brick and mortars has dropped off significantly. So my challenge is now to build a brand that will be recognizable, uh, be carried in other stores and uh, really nice stores that have a great reputation, which is what we're trying to do and get the name out there and just keep building, you know, for a few seasons so that the brand becomes something really worthwhile. What are the main ways to build this brand that people recognize in the world? I wanted um, to minimize risk as much as I could. So what I've done is I've done a lot of co-branding. So some of the factories I'm working with, I'm also putting as a co-label with me to give them some love and recognition and return their working and making the samples and putting in all the costs so that I don't have to incur this on a, uh, across the board. So right now I have seven relationships. It's about to expand to 11 or 12 next season. Um, you know, and every factory is different at what they do. I didn't want to go to one or two factories and try to make high heels and boots and, uh, you know, loafers and so on. So I've specifically chosen certain factories that are great at what they make and mm -hmm. have made deals with them so that we can bring them on board with the brand and uh, launch in February, which is what we're doing. Okay, I see. And also, I'm curious, what was the biggest or the proudest moment moment for you in the past, let's say, 10 years as a business owner? I'd say coming up with this Madison Maison line, um, the mm -hmm. Rihanna thing, I was very you know, happy with what we got you know, done. But now I need to create things myself and not rely possibly on you know, uh, products from other companies. So for me, it was about sitting down and coming up with a concept of things that would sell in my store and then expanding it. So we've tested the Madison Maison for the last three, four years in our store. And the volume is nice. And the bottom line is very nice because I'm able to cut everything out and do it yeah. at a minimal cost. So my, 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 my bottom line is much healthier. And I think that's what stores need today. I think it's very hard to survive on a 2.3, even a 2.5 markup because rents have gone crazy, healthcare costs, taxes, um, you know, everything seems to be going up, whether it's your paper packaging and so on. So where do you really have room where you can actually um, make your business healthier is in the product. And for me, it was taking the product in-house and not relying on other people's product so that I could try to hit trends and I can also make it, um, you know, the best possible quality and comfort. Yeah. When it comes to selling your products, what difference can you see between e-commerce, selling it online or in your store when it comes to margins, let's say? 
Um, we're pretty much going to carry everything that I'm designing in our stores. Um, so it'll just be a matter of what other stores purchase it and put it online. Um, we're on Farfetch. Madison Maisons accepted as a designer on Farfetch. Mm-hmm. So they're very happy with the design concept. And, we're, you know, my business with them isn't huge. I'm one of the smaller people, but they saw, I think, the potential. Um, and then as we expand into other stores uh, that are top stores, we're also on Farfetch. I think my business with them will, will grow. And uh, I'm looking to also make deals with other online um, significant names, uh, which at the moment we're in negotiations with. But, you know, Farfetch, I believe, is the number one source now in the world for people to shop online because it pretty much has everything you'd want as a, as a fashion client. So we're, we're very happy that we're on there and the clients coming to see the collection, I think will be very happy too because they realize they can put it on Farfetch and let's say for a line like Prada where they're only gonna get a 2.3 or four markup and by the time Farfetch takes their commission and so on, you know, their bottom line is not as healthy whereas if yeah, they yeah. take it in Maison, I give them a 3.5, they're still coming out, you know, looking really good if the product sells. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's talk about online marketing a bit. So what tools do you use to market yourself on the internet? Um, I'm working with a company right now to do ads and so on. I've done that in the past. I found that to be very difficult. And now mm-hmm. people you know, don't want to be tracked, which is understandable with yeah, yeah. what we're seeing in the world and how our privacy has been taken away. I don't think anybody's happy about that. So... I'm, I'm trying um, some ads, I'm trying emails, uh, I'm trying to get keywords, the right keywords on. But I think my success is ultimately going to come with these other stores purchasing. They'll kind of be the real voice. They are the top stores in the world. If I can break into the top stores in the world, that's why I see where my PR comes and then the rest follows. So the biggest part of it, it's just pure word of mouth, right? They just talk about your brand. They know your brand. I believe so. I mean, like, you know, right Mm -hmm. now, you know, these companies which we discussed earlier were supposed to be design and quality and, you know, comfort at a, you know, reasonable price. I think they've gone away and strayed from that formula. I think more and more people are seeing it and losing um, their confidence in the brands. And, you know, I don't know how so many brands can sell so many pieces over a thousand euros and get a market share. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm wondering how do you use email marketing? Because uh, our listeners, they know that my company, we do email marketing and we focus on the customer retention of e-commerce companies. So... I'm particularly interested about that part. How do you use emails? Well, we email obviously to our own clients over the years, which is a significant number, which is nice. And then uh, with this new company that I've signed with, they have their own um, email list. And we try to target um, their higher end clients on the list. Mm -hmm. I would buy these designers. And we just started a few weeks ago. So we just first sent out our first email. So... It'll take time, like anything else. And at the end of the day, I don't know how much traction I'll get out of that. And again, at the end of the day, I think 
ending up in the high-end stores is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think the good thing about email, you can measure everything. So unlike with TV or radio or even word of mouth, it's harder to measure it. So yeah, I think it's just a matter of time to see the results with email. 100%. You're correct on that, 100%. And, you know, like when you say word of mouth, this is what I mean by top stores. They kind of give you credibility. And if the customer goes in and, and actually physically see the quality and then try them on and see how comfortable and say, okay, these are great fashion and look, oh my God, mm -hmm. it's a third of the price of this other. I think that's what will create word of mouth for me. She goes to her friends and maybe they see it on her and they say, well, where'd you get that? What is it? And so on. That's how I started Madison in 1989 was all word of mouth. We were, um, one of the first to bring in heavy men's shoes. I was mostly a, a mm -hmm. mentor at the time. At the time, it was all the lightweight loafers were um, that they were wearing, like Cole Haan or Lorenzo Bonfi and so on, which was like the Miami Vice look, the mm -hmm. big baggy colored pants with the men's slip-on loafers. And um, the look of the heavier look was just coming in. So we went on, on and purchase that look by going to New York and Europe, bringing it in and all the hip kids and the Hollywood people that wanted different fashion and so on. And that's how Madison first got known in 1989, These really help to get your name familiar, right? One hundred percent. If a customer believes in something, um, you know, it's they want to go back to it. If you make them happy with the first purchase, then you've got a client. If they're not happy with the first purchase because you're trying to, you know, do it on a celebrity's name or um, advertising and so on. You know, they're going to get the product and say, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to buy that again. Yeah. And, you know, not, that's not how you want to build. And I think a lot of people are relying on that. And I think that message might be near its end course if you don't furnish the quality and styling and everything behind it. I, I think the consumer is not going to get tricked in by, well, you know, this singer wears it or that movie star wears it or that athlete wears it. I think that's kind of losing its its pizzazz. Yeah. And it takes time, but over the years it adds up, right? As they come back again and again and they buy and then they, fell in, they fall in love with your brand. A hundred percent. You know, there's an old saying, it's it's actually the uh, reverse of what we're talking about. I think it was Mark Twain or Hemingway said, you know, mm -hmm. how did you go broke? I think Hemingway wrote it in his book, but it's attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but they said, mm -hmm. how did you go broke? He said, slowly at first, then all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So it's like hitting that tipping point. Yeah. Where can you get to where you get to the point of you have enough clients And then you hit that tipping point where the word spreads and then you become synonymous with what you envisioned when you first started the journey. I have one more question to you and this relates to this topic. So what would you tell to those people who, let's say, just started out a brand and they sell something high ticket, so not 
20 50 dollar products but more expensive products high end maybe even luxurious products and you know people they don't buy these products every day like a 20 dollar product so it takes time to build a brand but what would you tell them what's the key to achieve success with a high-end luxurious fashion brand or jewelry brand i think no matter what the price point is you have to have something behind it whether you're making glass beads but are you putting the right colors together are you putting the right string together with it um, is there a message behind it? You know, how does it resonate? How do you resonate with the clientele that you're trying to reach? Uh, so it's different with every product and it's different, I think, with every price point as far as um, what you put into it. But I think the message is pretty much the same for all of us. Mm -hmm. What message are you conveying with what you're putting out? Does it match? Are you putting out a $600 item? but you're not putting quality and, and your message is you're pretending you're putting in quality or you're pretending that it's so high and on a fashion look and so on. So I think it's about integrity and honesty towards who your customer is going to be. Then they feel comfortable with you and will want to come back to you, whether it's a $20 item or a $2,000 mm -hmm. item. They have to get it and be happy with it. So that would be my, my two cents is... If you're starting out, where do you want to end and what do you want your message to be that's going to be true to your to your customer that you want to find? Yeah, you are the first person, by the way, who's saying this, that the price point doesn't really it doesn't really matter. And as you said, it's more about the message, the clear message, and it must be aligned with the with the mission of the brand, what the owner wants and what kind of products uh, he wants. So that's something interesting. Yeah, because I don't think it has to be price. I mean, you can mm -hmm. make something beautiful that it can resonate um, with, a, with a person. It can be a, a $20, $30 t-shirt, but if it has the right graphics on it and the material is decent, the customer is going to like it a lot. Yeah. So, it's more about the value, what they get for that price, right? Yeah, you know, we all, we all, we all, you know, why do we all wear different clothes and shoes and so on and glasses and so on? It's how we want to project of who we are and our taste level. So things resonate within all of us. Otherwise, we'd all wear potato sacks and walk around. So we yeah. all have a certain, let's say, ego, if you want to call it, or sense of style, which is, would be the wording you would use for that ego of projecting who we are and how we want to represent ourselves when we walk out the door. Um, you know, some people it doesn't mean much to, and they're happy with a sweatshirt and a planter jeans. That's fine. Other people, they, you know, want to wear certain colors. Other people want to wear a designer with a name on it. For all of us, it's different. And I think for um, a retailer, or if you want to be in the design world, you have to figure out how you're going to take your product and resonate it in, which sector of society yeah that i think that's a great observation about people and why they wear what they wear david thanks for uh coming here today and sharing your story and the story of your brand if anyone wants to check out your products where they should go what's the domain and uh where are the stores where are the showrooms uh it's madisonstyle.com 
Um, we have one store in Beverly Hills, since, uh, which I've had since 1990. We also are in Fred Siegel, um, Malibu. I have a small department there. I've had a long history with Fred Siegel. I worked at Fred Siegel when um, working through college. I had a shop at Fred Siegel Santa Monica for years till they closed it. Um, Fred Siegel was one of the pioneers in fashion in the United States. He uh, first wanted to bring in all the European jeans and so on, and then open up different departments and lease it out to different people who started to bring in all the European looks, which started to hit in the 1980s when fashion changed here in the U.S. from um, everybody dressing um, predominantly with American brands starting to move over to the European brands. And Fred Siegel was one of the pioneers definitely of that. So I've had a long history with them. Then as far as the brand, it's Madison Maison. It'll be uh, presented in the Progetto showroom in Milan starting on February 15th. So I'm gonna be leaving for Europe in less than a week. So I'm excited to go and start this new venture. Amazing. So we will put the links or link into the description and everyone can find it and you can visit the physical stores as well and one final note so i also put a link into the description and it's about a 50 point checklist for your own e-commerce email marketing that's what we use with our clients and everyone can go there and download it and thanks everyone who watched the live stream now or uh, listen to the podcast stay tuned because every week we come out with a new episode Thanks again, everyone. Stay tuned. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate your time.